This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 3, Power Broker. What's going on, Sharon? You don't ever want to come back home? They'll lock me up if I step foot back in the States. Madripoor doesn't allow extradition. Look, I'm sorry I didn't call. But after the blip and the chaos, I just... Look, you know the whole hero thing is a joke, right? I mean, the way you gave up that shield deep down, you must know it's all hypocrisy. He knows. And not so deep down. By the way, how is the new cap? Don't get me started. <laughs> Please, you buy into all that stars and stripes bolt. Before you were his pet psychopath, you were Mr. America, Cap's best friend. Oh, she's kind of awful now. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. It is I, Chris, and you're listening to the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. Yes, we're talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 3, Power Broker, exclusively available on Disney+. Plus. I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts. I totally thought I'd edit that out of our document, Chris. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, Derek is referring to the Disney Plus moment it is a thing if he puts it in the script i read it it's an ongoing joke now but actually it's not it's literally just we forget to edit it out and as we record i just say what's in front of me Ah, it's a problem we (laughs) yes we (laughs) it's the royal we it is it's using john's vernacular it is the royal we (laughs) derek forgets to edit it out chris reads it basically yes (laughs) so we forget to do things (laughs) well welcome back fellow defenders to uh to our discussions about falcon and winter soldier episode three of six here uh and i will be Spoiling my thoughts a little bit here, probably by saying this is definitely my favourite of uh, the season so far. Uh, so many good things happening in this episode. Uh, overall, Chris, what do you think? Uh, top two. So it literally, yeah, of the of the three, it is in the top two. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. Such high praise, Chris. Such high praise. <laughs> well, this is in my top three. Excellent. Hey! I'm not going to say where, but it is. Um. We'll we'll get into it later. Uh-huh. I can understand some people's hesitation on this episode and uh, people feeling it has slowed down. Like yours? Uh, where, no, <laughs> really? no, exactly. There is this thing where people are like, oh, it's slowed down. For me, it's just, no, I, I completely disagree. Uh, I think it's just, I think it is the, the they're building momentum. As I've said before, you can find any type of opinion on the internet. You can absolutely find anybody who will criticize anything. My favorite criticism that I've seen so far is, um, I wish the season was longer. I wish the episodes were shorter. And I'm going, do you remember when we did one division? It was like, I wish the episodes were longer and the season was shorter. <laughs> it's like, yeah. just, they will complain about anything. and You'll find somebody to complain about anything. Oh, this is too slow for me. I want the episodes to be a minute and a half long, like a YouTube video. So I know what's happening, but I don't have to watch an episode. <laughs> I'm sure there's those people out there. The best one for me is I want more Captain America. No, not that Captain America. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I want the other Captain America. You mean the one who's dead? Yeah, yeah the other Captain America. I want that one. Huh? <gasps> oh, he's well. not dead, Chris. 
Ah, Wubo. Steve Rogers is not dead. No, but he's got Zimmer frame and a catheter at this stage, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That super soldier serum is keeping him up at all night. Exactly. (laughs) It really means he has to go to the bathroom quite a lot early (laughs) and then at least at night. I am so glad Um, that scene wasn't included in any game. Um. (laughs) But I have to say, I want more Zemo and Sharon Carter Mm. after this episode. Loved it. Loved those two in this. And well, I love the the foursome actually. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I really like this it. team works really well together. But yes, yeah, so we're obviously going to spoil everything about the episode <laughs> as we go into yes. it. So uh, let's kick into it. Yes. Before we kick into it, just very quickly, don't forget to head on over if you are joining us for the first time, because some people might head on over to tvpodcastindustry.com and subscribe on any flying or grounded podcast player or service of your choice don't forget you can also leave us feedback because we thrive on feedback Mm -hmm. yes we do it feeds us yes you can leave us a voicemail and we'll put it on the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com you can also email us a voicemail to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can do the old analog version of just typing it out to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com we also need to keep the lights on here, so make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Energies. And just for a dollar, you can ensure that we keep our producer slash editor caffeinated throughout the multiple episodes we are doing. Because when I say multiple episodes, yes, we are doing Invincible. Yes, the animated cartoon. It is amazing. It is bloody. It is brilliant. Mm-hmm. We are doing Pennyworth. Yes, we're on over there with the Alfreds and the alternate DCU neon gaslit fun and games. We're over there. And finally, yes, you're listening to our Marvel podcast, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We'll also be covering all the other Disney Plus, Disney Plus, if you will, as Mark Norton says, (laughs) uh, uh, Marvel shows. Yes, like Loki, like everything else, we will be covering that here. So please support us just for a dollar and you get all those shows. What's your name for Disney Plus on the, the fakest, John? Disney Edition. Disney Edition, that's it. Ah, oh, that's Definitely. nice. I like that's that. That's a nice like one. That. Uh, after Chris's joke about uh, me needing coffee for the podcast uh, on our Invincible podcast, I've actually set up a uh, a Buy Me a Coffee uh, <laughs> fundraiser over on uh, buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. So if you literally want to buy me a coffee uh, to keep me up <laughs> while I'm doing the editing, uh, you can do that now. Yeah. Excellent <laughs> stuff. Love it. But if they don't want to do that and they just want to know what all this whole sh- rigmarole and show is about? Do we want to give them the old episode details, Derek? Absolutely. As with all the episodes so far in the season, Carrie Scogland is the director uh, for the show, one of the effectively the showrunner for for this season so far. We've seen uh, with One Division, uh, we've seen Matt Shackland as the director of every episode, and this season uh, for Falcon and Winter Soldier, we've seen Carrie Scogland being the director for every episode. Um, the writer for this episode is a goodie, and you can definitely tell. Uh, well-named to uh, Derek uh, Kalstad is the writer for this episode, most well-known as the writer for the first three John Wick movies. Not on board, I think, for the fourth uh, movie coming out next year. Um, he's not the writer for that. He is writing for Marvel here for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. If you have Derek Kalstad, the creator of probably the best violent action movies of the last ten years in Marvel now, what else do you think they could tap him to do? Do you think he could make a great Punisher movie? 
I think so. That definitely explains the the bounty element to this episode, mm-hmm. as with the, all the John Wick movies. Yeah. And I think we saw a little bit of blood splatter in this uh, episode as well. I think that was the first blood we've seen in uh, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, actually. Yeah, we'll talk about all of that, obviously, as we get into the uh, as we get into our discussion of the episode. But, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode three, Power Broker? Sure. Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes make their way to Berlin, where Bucky meets with Baron Helmut Zemo in his cell to get intel on the Super Soldier Serum and the Flag Smashers. Without informing Sam, Bucky sets in train Zemo's escape so that the three can work together. Using Zemo's resources, they head to Madripoor, where Bucky must become his previous incarnation, the Winter Soldier, and Sam must play the alternate personality, Conrad Mack, aka Smiling Tiger. They meet with a mid-level perp called Selby, who informs them that a scientist, Dr. Wilfred Nagel, was hired by the power broker to continue his work on the serum. As Sam's cover is blown, an unexpected guardian angel in the form of Sharon Carter comes to their aid, killing Selby. This places a bounty on the heads of Zemo, Bucky and Sam. Sharon joins them as they track down Nagel at the Madripoor docks. After Nagel tells him of his work on the serum with Hydra using the blood of Isaiah Bradley, and then with the CIA after the fall of Hydra, he is now employed by the Power Broker. He also explains that Carly stole the only remaining 20 vials of the serum from the Power Broker and headed to Riga, Latvia, to try and save her teacher and mentor, Mama Donya Madani. With his information given up, Zemo kills Nagel as a group of bounty hunters close in on them. After an intense shootout at the docks, Bucky, Sam and Zemo escape Madripoor and head to Riga to find Carly and the Flag Smashers. However, as they arrive in Latvia, Bucky Barnes makes his excuse to go for a walk around town, but soon finds himself face to face with the Wakandan Dora Malarji, who has come for Zemo. So cool to tie this in with Black Panther and uh, with Civil War effectively. It makes so much sense here that the Dora Milaje would would arrive, right? Oh, it's literally just you're kind of going, yeah, the person who killed their previous king has escaped. Mm-hmm. They're going to send someone after him. Yeah. Wait, the white wolf, the essential, the quintessential kind of adopted son of Wakanda yeah. is running around potentially with the person who's committed regicide against our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to send your your uh, elite to capture absolutely yeah yeah it just made total sense it was one of those ones where you go what will this tie into when we do a tv show on the mcu and disney plus what what movies will it tie into <laughs> and for some reason we didn't think black panther but it makes total sense because it is uh, completely tied into their story uh, let's get into our bullet points for the episode uh, bullet point number one the baron zemo breakout obviously last week the episode ended with uh, our boys falcon the witcher soldier off to visit uh, baron helmut zemo uh, in prison um, what did you think of this way of doing it? This uh, this kind of setup where you see them arriving at prison. Uh, Bucky goes off to talk to Zemo. We have that little interaction between the two of them where Zemo j- kind of jokingly calls out the trigger words uh, to turn Bucky back into the Winter Soldier. I thought that scene was really good. And then the kind of flip of it when we see uh, Winter Soldier explaining hypothetically how he could possibly break Baron Zemo out of prison. What do you think of that kind of uh, way of doing it? I enjoyed the hell out of the hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me just too. A, because I was just like, oh wait, wait, they're gonna do the oh that's how hypothetically we would do it, and then actually like they have to go do something else. 
Like it's gonna go. We have to do a, a smash and grab, like the Ocean's Eleven one, weeks. where they tell you the plan yeah. and then they do the plan slightly differently, kind of thing. Yes, yeah, but it's yeah. so I, much better than Ocean's Eleven. Oh, you're uh, not a fan of it. No, I'm not. But <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, I love this. I love the mechanism of doing it like that, and I, I think just seeing Sam, <laughs> like as it, you know, it clicks that this isn't really a hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really nice play. Yeah. Um, Cause we we're, we're watching it together, myself and John, and John was going, how did he get the Machiavelli book? I didn't see Bucky hand that book over to him. And it's like, oh no, that may not be exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. Or it is exactly what happened. And he's planned this weeks in advance to break Helmut Simo. This is how he would do it. You know? So I really like the idea that it throws a little bit of, a little bit of a, question over exactly how he got out but this is the kind of way it could have worked <laughs> kind of cool yeah definitely um i really liked as well uh zemo doing trying the trigger words as bucky comes yeah. to the cell i mean that was just so nice and again i think all through this episode just the little play with of of Zemo with Bucky Barnes all the way through this, I really, really enjoyed. Uh-huh. And, and riling up Sam, like, I know we're going to come to Madripoor later in our next bullet point, but just that moment where, um, because Bucky has to go as the Winter Soldier to be in character, mm-hmm. uh, to, to sell that to the, the den of iniquity that is Madripoor. I, I love the fact that, you know, he turns to Sam and says it didn't take him long to get back into the groove effectively yeah. as he fights in the bar. So, and all of this through, um, sort of underlying Zemo's sort of insertion into this couple of, of Bucky and, and Sam Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really enjoys a lot. And um, because I think Zemo is just one of the great characters that came from the MCU because I think his motivations, you know, it, it, we had, well, aliens, androids and wizards in the last one. And I think it, you know, there is an element of that in the MCU and Zemo is this really realistic, mm-hmm. grounded rationale for what he does, which is to stop super soldiers. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he has some great, great moments in, in this. I particularly like where he's talking about Steve Rogers with, about the danger of people like him, mm-hmm. that they're put on pedestals, they're made into icons, but with doing that, you forget all their flaws that yeah. they have. Um, and, you know, do we really want, uh, these kind of people? Um, you know, I think he brings it back to the Red Skull and says, do we want a world full of Red Skulls? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I just think, yeah, it's so grounded in terms of his, his rationale for what he does. Uh, and I love, I love that about him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love the idea that he's, that, um, this team up is so logical. I know we'll talk about it later on. There is a point where Zemo gets away from, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and you feel like maybe he's just going to go off on the run and break away now. But yeah, but you could totally understand why he doesn't. The motivation of him joining with these guys is hang on a second. There's what eight other super powered individuals in the world who could form a team like the one he killed in Civil War. Um, and potentially there's another another what 12 more people that could be created as super soldiers so his motivation here is you want to stop these superpowered individuals i always want to stop superpowered individuals so of course i'm going to work with you guys it makes total sense that they're uh they're 
motivations align, I suppose, uh, in this in this way. And that's the most important thing if you're going to bring the bad guy from one of your biggest Marvel movies uh, and turn him into an ally for your major characters here. I think that works really well as the sequel. We did talk about, you know, the tropes of um, of long-form action movies, things like Fast and the Furious, where everybody who was a villain in the first four or five of those movies by the end is the heroes of those movies. Well, you have to have good motivation for that to happen. I think they, they nailed it here with, with this, uh, with this version of Zemo joining uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And I, I think the interesting, the other aspect to the Baron Zemo breakout is, you know, the, the, the whole reason why, uh, you've got Sam and Bucky going to Zemo for that Hydra sort of, you know, the history of Hydra that Baron Zemo has and the, the, the whole history that he holds in his brain around the super soldier program and the serum. Uh, and we also have, you know, new Cap America here uh, and Lamar both also going to find Zemo as well. Um, yeah. and realizing he is the way into this puzzle that they have to decipher. It's just that, you know, a couple of weeks behind Bucky and and Sam, in that sense. Yeah, well, de- days probably. Maybe oh weeks. no, exactly. No, but <laughs> but if Bucky was planning the escape of Zemo in advance, sure. I mean, I, I'm just like, and maybe that they're only really the because of the breakout of Zemo. I mean, that obviously must have been that alarm must have been raised as well. But that that they, they realize that it's probably Sam and and Bucky. Oh definitely. Yeah, they they're going to visit Zemo. They definitely say it in dialogue they're going to visit him because they're going to follow the same plan as uh, as Bucky had kind of laid out. Yeah. Uh, so they, but when they get there they realize that Zemo's gone and we find out it was the same day the visit from Fuck the Witch Soldier and the breakout of Zemo was the same day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Close but no cigar exactly. in that sense for them. And the other thing just quickly is that, you know, you get another sense of John Walker here where he effectively says that who cares about the means as long as you get to the end, you mm. get. So that, that's another interesting little thing on, on John Walker as Captain America is that maybe, uh, any means possible justifies the ends for him. Yeah. And so that's kind of interesting. It's not just interesting. It's a complete change from what we saw in the conversation with Bucky and Falcon last episode Buck and Sam last episode um, they specifically said we can do things that you can't do because you're Captain America you have to abide by the rules and this episode here he's saying I'm not no longer going to abide by the rules effectively and um, so yeah you're right it's very very different yeah um, okay so in John Walker they're slowly setting him up and we'll discuss it probably more when we discuss the five smashers um, but there's a scene there where they are literally each episode giving you tidbits now to show you the real John Walker outside of the publicly Good Morning America uh, uh, kind of PR run of John Walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the hothead, the I will get things done no matter what. Anyway, um, so we're starting to see that. Uh, on Zemo, I did enjoy, I, I enjoyed every aspect of Zemo being back on this. This was for me, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um I, I do love they were just like, yeah, you're royalty. Like, I'm actually a baron. And just the, the shambling old butler. Hilarious. Um, yeah. 
I'm pretty sure I locked him in a closet in the fridge back in Tomb Raider 2 um, <laughs> on the PlayStation. Um, there's just this like Deep this cuts, old, Chris. Yeah, I love I love that conversation that is done in uh, in German with uh, with the butler where he's saying, "Do the smell test in the food. If it doesn't pass the smell test, feed it to those guys." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a exactly. great moment with really and especially good. because the butler kind of responds with him going, "I'm so happy you're back." <laughs> it's like yeah, he, he really gets the humor. of It is there. really good, and I think the other thing just. I guess on, on Zemo here, I, I like that they, they just recount his motivation about yeah. uh, what happens in Sokovia. Um, and this is touched on through um, the episode as well. And I like that because I think from Civil War, that was such a strong motivation yeah. um, of Zemo. And, and it's still there, you know, that his country effectively has part of the planet dropped on them, uh, from the, um, the attack there in Sokovia on the Hydra Basin with Ultron. So I, I really liked, um, them touching on that. I mean, mm. even to the point where he says, you know, did you ever visit the memorial to, yes. um, the people who died in in, in that incident in yeah. Sokovia. Because you mentioned I mean, Sokovia has been completely subsumed by all the countries around us. Sokovia yeah. no longer exists effectively and has been uh, has been taken apart. All the money, all the wealth and riches that was left yeah. have all been taken. So, it, so. so that I just thought that was really good that they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the, 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 the country being uh, divided and ripped apart, did you hear one of our allies to the east? I think they're setting up Laferia. Yeah. They're just this country beside Sokovia. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who are not sure or who do not know what Laveria is, Laveria is the home country of Doctor Doom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's similar to Sokovia. It's a made up country, but they're just kind of, they're, they're, I, I think the way they get around kind of saying, well, Laveria was nothing and now it's a big thing is they can build it up and say, well, it just, it was this tiny monarch beside Sokovia and, ruled by this guy and all of a sudden uh it was when Sokovia was destroyed they just took over all of the refugees mm-hmm. from Laferia and they, the Sokovians love the Laferian king a monarch Dr. Doom Victor Von Doom or the <laughs> the Von Dooms and that's how you could build up because we just found out Sokovia had a royalty yeah. as well a barony and like Zemo is there and then you're just again setting like all these little things mm-hmm. are just yeah. setting up. It's very. This is where I can feel Fahey, Kevin Feige's hand. Right. But the reason we don't have a TV showrunner in the respect of a showrunner in, um, kind of the way you would on other shows is because that you have a director and you have the writer on these Marvel shows, and then you have technically it's been the head producer of these shows yep. is Kevin Feige. We found this out through the One Division. Uh, kind of, uh, behind the scenes piece they did where they said Kemp Vahey was deeply involved in one division. This is where I can see him being deeply involved, quote unquote, where he's like, I want you to just name drop this piece. And like, that's going to pay off potentially. I think they look for opportunities within the story written by the, by the head writers, the the central story. They look for opportunities to, to tie it into the universe. They actually, uh, what we found out from WandaVision effectively is that they have a team of people that when the, when the writer's room come up with their concept for the story, they look at the comic book series and see what they can tie in with. Even if the head writer is a big comic book fan, there is a whole team at Marvel that goes, what else could we add into this that could tie in with past 
books past uh, past comics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I must say, I I can really feel um, Feige's fondle here as well, <laughs> or, or dare I say, his finessing, um, because from his talk about that and the allies to the east, as you say, I just thought, oh my goodness, this. This has that Doctor Doom link, the Latveria link, and the possibility that in some way maybe Zemo and Doom have that connection because of the royalty element. And I think that, to me, that would just be like a little cherry on top. Now, that this is a long-term theory, and I guess it will never pan out. But look, why not? We know that the Fantastic Four are coming. Yeah, this oh, yeah. makes a lot more logical sense to Tut than than your theory that he was coming into one division. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I don't. Doom I do not think he'll be here. <laughs> I, I think they no, just no. were going to get the name drop for Latveria at some point from Zemo. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's that's exactly what I meant. So that that is yes. the theory. I don't see Doctor Doom coming into the show. I'm, I just no, no, he was not. He was never coming into one division. But I no. think the idea that may drop Latveria <laughs> as a country into this show. Is, is logical. Uh, one thing I do want to call out here, because I'm, it's going to play into my own defend at the end of the episode, there's a couple of conversations that are really clunky uh, between Zemo and, uh, and Sam and Bucky, probably because I've seen uh, Civil War and uh, Winter Soldier more often than any of the of the the Marvel movies. They're the ones I go back to over and over again. Some of the conversations that are in here really feel like, how would Sam only remember that one conversation with that one line in the movie that we all saw as an audience to be able to repeat back, oh, you've got that notebook that kept, that, that Steve had when he came back and I told him that he should listen to that particular album. What did you think of the album, Bucky? And you're kind of going, they knew each other for four years. Would you remember what exact conversation you had? It feels really like the writer trying to squeeze something from a movie into the TV show that people remember. Even the moment when Sam's sitting in the back of the car and he says to Buck, you're not going to move your seat up. Like, it's a callback joke that just doesn't work for me. It doesn't feel right in the episode. But overall, the interactions between these characters are really good. I, oh, right. First off, I barely remember what I say to my wife two days ago. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you barely remember what you say to Chris's wife two days ago. You're my wife. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, this, this is something I found, and this is, again, when I said my top two earlier this plays into my defense this was too clunky for me they they while zemo is a fantastic they played zemo as a fantastic character in civil war in my opinion there's something off it was just something strange about his dialogue they were building him to be this kind of hannibal lecter super intelligent evil genius it just it feels slightly off. They they're like, remember this guy? Well, actually, he's super rich. Oh, and do you know what? He's also this other like it. He he knows he knew all the bad guys in Madripoor. Like just they like it's mm, see all, like, all of that stuff. I think makes logical sense. It's just my complaint really is just having having to use particular dialogue from the two movies and putting it back in as new dialogue here and i understand that the whole premise of the marvel tv shows is that they're trying to sell it to people who may not have seen the movies or maybe only seen them once and and that kind of stuff but i just feel while the conversations are okay it just feels like hang on a second why are you uh, saying the same thing that you said nine years ago and remembering yeah. that conversation it just feels like you probably wouldn't have that in the real world um whereas developing 
Baron Zemo's character and explaining the other stuff that people won't know about him because why would Sam and Bucky know his full history that he is a Baron? I, I understand adding that in and and the idea that he has this trail to uh, the Super Soldier Serum. Of course he would because he was investigating it for so many years. Um, that's how he got involved in, in Civil War. So I, I understand expanding that and why he is that villain. Um, it was, so my only bit was, yes, I agree. The logical writing narrative made sense. Mm-hmm. The unfortunately written narrative beats did not. It just felt clunky. Like it basically, I'm agreeing exactly with you. <laughs> it's just, I felt it was also just expanded in that, for example, the, the meeting with Shelby in Magipur, which we're going to talk about now, just felt robotic to a degree sometimes. Well, okay. There we go. That's we, it. We will agree to disagree on that yes. and move on to our discussion about Madripoor. Yes, Madripoor, a big comic book um, city, I suppose, or, or town. Uh, we, we see it quite often in the comic books, um, particularly in the X-Men. Um, it's a, a place where Logan goes to kind of hide out, and Logan being Wolverine in the comic books, uh, he goes to hide out. He has his own his own uh, identity that he lives under when he's in Madripoor called Patch, um, which is uh, which is his little uh, little identity, and I loved our opening to Madripoor when we arrived there. One of the first moments that we see we see the bar, the Princess Bar, which is where uh, Wolvie would be hanging out when he's in Madripoor. So I like the idea that you see Sam specifically look at the sign, and they've they've established that that place is there because. If Wolverine does exist, if we are going to get Wolverine in the MCU, he's alive right now because the character is about 150 years old at this stage. Um, so he may be sitting at the bar in there having a couple of shots, uh, waiting to start another bar brawl. Um, I kind of like that establishing element for uh, Marvel Comics fans. The way it panned to the princess bar was just like, this is an Easter egg. Shout mm-hmm. neon sign, literal yeah. neon sign. Like it, it was, it was even, yeah, as you say, it's, it's, this is not an Easter egg. This place exists in our world. It's not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really cool. Yeah. And I, I think Madripoor just in its entirety was so well realized. Yeah. I, I loved it. it. It felt like that, that seedy den of iniquity. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. it was really, really good. And I just like how it, it, it also fitted with, with Zemo and, then with Sharon, it felt like they were connected to this, this city, mm-hmm. um, in, in all its dreadful glory. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where you really got the sense of the hand of Derek Kolstad, uh, for me. Um, and just how he realizes the John Wick movies mm-hmm. and here in Madripoor, it was so, yeah. so good. Um, it, it seemed like the mix of all of the worst. Uh, the worst parts of the big cities of the world. It really, it, it feels like it's all combined together, which is what Madripoor always feels like in the comics. It's like, if you want to go to the worst place in the world, think New York in the seventies, you know, um, think Shanghai in its, its worst times, you know, think Bangkok in its worst times, combine them all together. And that's Madripoor, you know, so I really like how it's, how it's all been put together here. It the it just straight out of comic books to me. It just literally rang so clear. You had high town, you had low town. It looks like Singapore, um, on steroids, mm-hmm. which was the way it was always supposed to. Um, you you kind of had the shanty and then the the high rise. Yeah. Uh, it, and like, it, yeah, it just felt straight out of a comic book for me, and I was just, it was beautiful to see, and the fact it was so well realized is for me one of the reasons I, I am just in awe of what they are doing under 
these Disney Plus shows. Mm-hmm. It's essentially, can you imagine, more than likely, we, if we got this in a film, it would have been, what, a four-minute uh, set visit to Madripoor yeah. in a film, and then they're gone because that was it. We got a good, what, 30 minutes uh, plus yeah. in Madripoor and saw all elements of it, explanation of it. And that's why I'm just so happy that they are doing these larger-than-life shows. Exactly. Yeah, it feels like a really established place. It's an yes. island I certainly don't want to be visiting at any point. So I, oh, I would love to visit um, Madripoor, I have to say. And I think just, like, the Brass Monkey Bar... Um, the was I, I loved it. I loved the just the villainy and scum. It was almost like the cantina. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, yeah. I think um, I'm th- sure there was some guidance from from the Star Wars universe on on how you build that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I have to say, I thought I saw George Lucas in this um, episode <laughs> when you go to Sharon Carter's host party uh-huh. where you see Zemo doing his little jig awesome. and there's a moment where there's a cut off where there's two people talking and it looks the spit of George Lucas <laughs> I was like has he got a cameo here but yeah. um coming back to the monkey bar I loved I, I love the fact that um you know Zemo is Zemo in this but asking Bucky to reprise his um, you know, his appearance and the way he acts as the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. uh, was really good. And I love the, the, the comedy element of having Sam Wilson playing this, um, Conrad Mack, aka Smiling Tiger. And just, I mean, Anthony Mackie at the bar getting the shot with the bit of snake flesh um, yeah. is, like that he does that whole uncomfortable stuff really well i i really enjoyed uh what he did there yeah um and it was just so well done yeah it's, it's uh, odd isn't it because anthony mackie obviously has done a lot of uh of action movies but i do think he's got a real comedy streak in him that we've seen Definitely. in behind the scenes stuff and interviews and so i'm really hoping that he gets a good comedy role uh in the future because uh he really can play it so that that scene is really really good i think smiling tiger what do you think chris is smiling tiger a reference to uh the head of madripoor tiger tiger from the comics um or is there another character called smiling tiger Another character, Smiling Tiger. Uh, he was a character from the New Mutants. He's he was evil. He's a he's a villain. Mm-hmm. Smiling Tiger. He uh, started, I think, in Chris Claire, Chris Claremont's uh, New Mutants, right? And then went on to be in Zemo's Thunderbolts. Excellent. Okay. Um, so that's the Baron Zemo tie, and uh, yeah, he's just your run of the mill. Kind of yeah, not not even B list, D list kind of villain that they 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 like to kind of just throw in when they need a cat like feral kind of bristly character. They show him in. So he has like superpowers. He has some. Form. Yes, oh. yeah, yeah. He he's just uh, if I remember correctly, he's essentially just a uh, enhanced agility claws. Yeah. That type of thing. Okay. Like, I, I do love the conversation between uh, Zemo and uh, and Sam when Zemo's saying, "Gotta dress up like this guy," and he's yeah. Sam's in his outfit, going, "You made me dress like a pimp." <laughs> and Zemo, as you can tell, Zemo's got a little bit of style about him. He's kind of going, oh, "Only an American dressed as good as that would think he looks like a pimp." <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Zemo clearly likes that fashion style. forward. I think he says, "Yeah, yes. exactly." Yeah. Um, but that was really good, and I think um, Anthony Mackie is awesome. And and you have again that kind of awesomeness 
of Anthony Mackie as an actor um, when they meet Selby, where his phone goes and it's his sister um, on the phone. And, oh, yeah. and you just have that awkwardness where he's like, he's talking about, yeah, we've got to do the heist on the bank, you know, the laundering of all that money. <laughs> and then you get the, the, the call out to the kids over the, on speakerphone to, you know, where have you put the cereal kind of thing? Um, I, I thought that was really nice, but obviously yeah. that sort of kicks everything off. Well, yeah, it ends in her calling him Sam. So, uh, so that's yeah. actually what breaks everything. I love that. Uh, Shelby was going to accept the whole conversation, really. Uh, she was kind of going to accept the whole thing until Sam was called out. Even the serial conversation, she's kind of thinking, well, maybe this could be uh, somebody that's just dealing with their kids. Maybe this could still be a villain, <laughs> effectively. Uh, but it's only when Sam is called out. Uh, yeah, really, really good, uh, really good moment to kick off the kind of fight that's in there. But that battle in the bar when we finally get a new version of the Winter Soldier theme, it's not the old version. It's not the really intense winter soldier theme that Bucky has had before but when he's pretending or trying to replicate his old winter soldier style we get a new uh, a new winter soldier theme uh, for for Bucky I thought that was so cool it feels really remixed and feels really dynamic in comparison to the single-minded killer theme that was the old uh, winter soldier theme I thought it was a really good uh, musical touch in there yeah yeah the the well the, that fight alone just he also saw there's a slight difference he didn't kill Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the I think the, the the difference in the theme of the Winter Soldier theme. Yeah. It's like he's gone from being a killer to he's similar to what we discussed around Steve Rogers. Yes, Steve Rogers used a gun, but then he started to use a shield only exclusively because he didn't kill yeah. per se. He just harmed like severely, potentially sometimes mortally wounding. Yeah, but he just harmed. <laughs> Uh, so that was the interesting piece there. It's so cool. I love that everybody in the whole town knows exactly who the Winter Soldier is, you know, and it's it's kind of the only difference between the Winter Soldier they've seen in the past and this guy is he's had a haircut. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. the instant yeah. thing they've said about it. You know? it's, but it's interesting you say that, Chris, because I think that really forms into Zemo's character as well. You say that Steve Rogers didn't kill, and yet for Zemo, his thought is that, your actions killed so many people in Sokovia. Yep. And that's yep. the thing. It, it comes back to his, the danger of putting Steve Rogers on a pedestal and saying that he doesn't kill because he does and he's mm. killed plenty of innocents. Sorry, I'm sounding like a Zemo advocate here, but it's just like, that's what I love about how Zemo's character comes in is because, yeah, we, it, it's the, the star spangled banner man who's pure and principled when in fact his actions, even though he may be guided in that way, um, has led to a lot of people dying. Um, yeah. I, he may not have, you know, shot someone or stabbed someone or, or whatever. And I, I also would say, a shield of vibranium flying at you is most likely to kill you um, yeah. if you're a normal human being. Just I mean, not, not directly, just severe concussion. Yeah. Or just the skulls like <laughs> exploding <laughs> as it hits you in the head. Just not um, I, I would say Steve is not the only one responsible. He was he himself and Tony Stark were being targeted, but because Tony Stark again warmongering arms dealer uh, who led the Avengers, <laughs> exactly. and he also created Ultron, the thing that killed Sokovia effectively. But, but, so, so it is on on Tony more than Steve. No, it's on all of them, mm -hmm. and that's the whole motivation of Zemo: why he doesn't like super soldiers, mm -hmm. why he doesn't like the Avengers. 
it's because it's actually on all of them. It's the combined element here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think that's really kind of the neat thing about Zemo. But, um, but more Tony than yeah. Steve. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, do, anyway, you did mention killing uh, earlier on, Chris, of the, of the fact that Steve doesn't kill and Soda doesn't kill. This was the scene we're talking about, the death of Shelby here, um, the kind of intermediate between between Zemo and potentially this power broker character. Um, she gets shot th- straight through the chest and we see yep. blood actually coming out. And I think, as, as I said earlier on, I think that's the first blood we've seen in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, despite people falling out of the sky, people being knocked out, people being shot at. We, even, even when someone's shot, we haven't actually seen blood. We've seen them fall off screen. This time you actually see blood coming out of her as she falls to the ground, which seems yep. like something you don't normally see on Disney Plus shows uh, as well. So, uh, so that's different for this show. This was their, their, their big one. Yeah. Well, like even the guy who died in a hail of bullets didn't exactly. explode in a hail of bullets. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit like okay, uh, you're right. It's it is that. Um, I'll before we move on to uh, the the Shelby being killed and who we think it was. I have one problem with this, which is this is all on Sam because what superhero keeps their phone uh-huh. on oh absolutely like literally that that took me to out of the moment because i'm <laughs> like come on like i'm in a meeting i put my phone on silent everyone puts their phone on silent or at least on vibrate yeah, yeah. but just that like who has it on super loud mode <laughs> yeah even no. if you had it on vibrate and you just heard the zzz, that would have been that would have felt more real because he's yes. tried to do something, mm-hmm. but he should have actually just put it on mute, you know, yeah, and on silence. Just... And it's like, oh, okay, grand, and yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I like the comedy element of yes, it that exactly. it induced, which was which was pretty good. I think just before moving on to bullet point three. As well, the the other interesting thing we get here is just that, you know, the power broker in Madripoor is Judge, Jury and Executioner. Judge and Judy and Executioner. Judge Judy and Executioner. Yeah. I called him the pacemaker, um, yeah, I think, when we were sat watching it. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's the pacemaker. Oh, no, it's the power broker. <laughs> no, um, but uh, I think... Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Whilst we don't see the power broker, you know, Selby is linked in his organization. Um, and we, we get to hear more of his involvement with Nagel here. Um, as they learn more about, um, the, the serum yep. and the flag smashers and everything connected with them. So that, that was another nice little element from, uh, this, this visit to, the Brass Monkey Bar and and the conversation with Selby as well. Yeah, comic book version, there would always be some form of kind of leader of uh, of Madripoor, someone that is uh, is overarching every all the criminals there. They have to kind of pay respect to the leader of of Madripoor, um, and that seems to be the power broker here. I love again that sign that's on the wall, a bit, a bit of graffiti as they walk in that just says that the power broker is watching, so everybody knows who they're paying their dues to effectively uh, yep. for being in Madripoor. So, uh, so really interesting. Um, Selby's death then just kicks off the, uh, the bounty hunter moment, as John mentioned, the kind of John Wick moment. Everybody in, in town gets a message to their phone going, someone's killed her a million dollars to, to take them out effectively. So, uh, so everybody leaves and we now get our introduction to our bullet point three. Here comes Sharon Carter. Oh, finally getting Sharon Carter. Back in this TV show, I love this character in the comic books. Absolutely love her. Um, she had a couple of good moments in Winter Soldier and in Civil War. It was good to see her at least brought to life. 
but this is the character I wanted to see uh, from from her introduction, seeing her in the show here. I think it's really cool seeing this change to the character. The fact that she does save Bucky and Sam uh, and gets them out of there and brings them to her awesome apartment up in Hightown is just so good to see uh, her just being given so much more in the show. Oh, definitely. Like, I loved Sharon Carter here. I think with Zemo, just so well portrayed here and um I, I just really liked everything um about her rationale that the idea that you know she's effectively joined um the life of a real-time hustler because she's had to be a hustler mm. when she was uh, on the run for helping captain america and she's still on the run she's not had this pardon in any mm. way and i i love that this idea that she has become adaptable, pragmatic, and in order to survive. And again, with Sam coming in and saying, you know, I'll get you, um, pardoned. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll promise that if you help us, mm. we'll do that. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you know, I don't, all that Star Spangled Banner stuff I, I has kind of has left me, you know, um, I, I need more than promises. I want to have a deal. You know, she's kind of saying, you know, can, you, Sam Wilson, deliver me a pardon. She's, uh, you know, there's a doubt there. She's being cautious. She's being, yeah. um, in order to survive so that she, she doesn't get her hopes up and then gets arrested. She, she's trying to survive. And I just, I just saw that was really, really cool. I really like that about how they framed her in, in, in this episode. I'm in agreement. Uh, Sharon Carter here is that I, I, I'm getting a lot of Black Widow vibes. Mm. Um, in 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 that it's a badass espionage spy. So basically, the the Sharon Carter that's here really feels like uh, comic book Sharon Sharon Carter, uh, particularly the most recent run from Taneshi Coates uh, of Captain America. Sharon Carter is a very central character in those books, and she is unwilling to go against what she wants to get done. Even when Steve's involved, she'll put him, send him on a path to accomplish her goals more than, uh, more than follow. So, okay. so the Sharon that we, that we were introduced to in Civil War and in, um, sorry, introduced to in Winter Soldier and was in Civil War was very much just a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. and followed yes. along what Steve wanted, uh, yeah. went, went along with him in the Civil War effectively and the breakup of, of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. went and followed him. Now we have Sharon Carter living on her own, completely making her own decisions and needs to achieve her goal, which is getting back to her family, which I just think is, it seems very similar to comic book Sharon Carter. She's been such an important character in the, in the comics for years that, that she needs her own character in the movies. And I feel yeah. like just in this episode, they've accomplished that. I think there's a moment in, in the episode where Sharon kind of sends uh, Bucky and Sam and, and Zemo off in their car and walks away. And John turned around and went, I hope that's not all we see of her because that was great. Like that was a great introduction. So, <laughs> so having that for just a couple of minutes in, in this episode or this half of the episode, really, uh, at least seeing her in here was so good. I think they've realized her really well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I just think it's, um, I, I loved the, the, the one bit I'll call out on my opinion on this was the selling of, um, uh, she sells real art. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, people and it's that no 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 most of the stuff that's in the Louvre and the <laughs> yeah. museums is fake Yeah, I, I was like no 
Like, is that, and it is true. A lot of the stuff that's up hanging up is not the original. The original hangs in something else and a copy has been given to, to help with art fraud and theft and stuff like that. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. Apparently. And I was like, no, that, oh my God, that's such a, and it's a throwaway line. This is one of the reasons I love the writing here. Mm -hmm. But it's just a throwaway line that you're like, Oh my god, that's so cool! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I guess in Madripoor, it's been stolen and they've replaced it with a, a, a face. Yes. I, I mean, yeah. and again, it's another nice dimension to to Sharon Carter here that to survive. You know, she she would never have done this in the MCU movies. Um, well, they wouldn't have had the time. No, exactly. Or, or they wouldn't. Sorry, they wouldn't have taken the time to develop Sharon Carter in the movies. It was all about the big heroes. She's not super powered, so they don't. So they, she's not uh, someone that they would spend time on in the movies. And she says that here. She says effectively, she got the blame just like Sam did. But because he's an Avenger, hey, he's fine. He's working again. Even even Winter Soldier, he's gotten off on all of the charges, and she's just sitting here. On her own in Madripoor, having to make her own life out of it, not even able to talk to her father and tell her where she is. So she's saying her at the worst deal because I was an agent of an organization that fell apart and was not a superhero like everybody else. That it, I didn't get that protection. So I really like that uh, that element of her character is really added in there. Completely agree. So that takes us to she finds at the party, which it looks like an amazing party. I feel like there was supposed to be more of that party. Yes. Um, because we have, we have Sam the following morning kind of comments, this would give New York a run for its money. And you get the feeling that that means that everybody there is hungover, that, uh, yeah. that himself, uh, Zemo and, uh, and Bucky have all had a lot to drink at that party. You just get a little flash of it with that dance scene from, uh, from Helmut Zemo when he's, uh, doing the awful dad dance in the middle of, uh, of this awesome looking nightclub, <laughs> effectively. It was but, amazing. Uh, but you just get this, this idea that there was supposed to be more of, uh, them all partying that maybe they filmed uh, for a couple of hours uh, that those scenes uh, but yeah anyway yes off to the off to the port um, yeah we get off to the port where we 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 are introduced to uh, Nagel and we get the the history of the actual new super soldier serum mm-hmm. being created the the remnants of project rebirth being brought to life and cracked by Nagel um this is interesting we literally get a, an, a, an exposition dump from a character who just explains everything. <laughs> um, in retrospect, we can quickly see that, okay, so Nagel worked on Isaiah Bradley's um, uh, samples, Yeah, uh, was able to uh, reverse engineer um, the, the super soldier serum to make it, and this is interesting, to make it more uh, lean and targeted. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, you, you're not getting the Steve Rogers buff uh, super soldiers. They can look like anyone. Like of all the things to remove from the super soldier serum, th- taking out the body that you would get uh, from, from getting the getting the injections of that serum. You know, I, I think that was a bad, a bad choice for Nagel showing he's evil. Oh, 100 percent. Like I, if I'm going to take a super soldier serum and like have that 50 50, I want the Marvel ads to, that comes with it. Like yeah, that exactly. is just it's like. It's like my beer gut. It what needs to go? Yeah, you'll still yeah, look just... normal. You'll just be you'll just be super uh, super powered. Exactly. No, oh my bingo wings. Oh, no. no. <laughs> um, but okay. So so this is what I did enjoy the the explanation of why and how this came about. So he just cracked it. He was about to produce it for the CIA. Mm-hmm. The blip happens. Yep. 
Yeah. He comes back. They've moved on. They they closed the project. So he goes to the power broker and does it there. Exactly. He sells yeah. it to the highest bidder. And you're like, interesting. Yeah, the blip is an interesting loophole, uh, effectively yeah. for uh, for for the MCU here. You know, you can imagine that the CIA CIA would keep all this under control. But if some if half the world has just blipped back, uh, maybe they can't just follow up on all those leads that have suddenly popped back up again. You know, um, I, I really like that. But again, we have the uh, we have. Uh, Zemo killing him because yep. um, yeah. he wants to make sure this doesn't happen again. So he's the only yep. person now living that has the concept and the ideas to make a super soldier serum. So uh, so Zemo's acting on uh, exactly the motivation that he has. So yep. he's killing him right there. No, I, I love that. I love that he he, he shot him. Uh, you yep. know, it makes absolute sense. And um, I, I also I liked, I, like you, Chris, th- this whole sort of, the the rationale and the background that Nagel introduces here, even just that kind of you know neat slip from working for Hydra to working for the CIA, you know, it feels yeah. very Cold War type yeah. uh, of thing, where you, or, or like Project Paperclip with uh, former Nazi scientists yeah. yes. coming over. And that, you know, we'll, we'll forget about our principles because this is going to deliver innovation technology, yeah. however awful it's being derived from. And already referenced in the Marvel Universe with, uh, yeah, with the Hydra. Uh, exactly. So, so th- this was, yeah, this was really, really, um, excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just with the whole, um, relationship to Isaiah Bradley and the, the blood samples and, and seeing Sam's reaction. Uh, on the plane after they're, they're going from Madripoor to Riga. Um, well, yeah. was just that, that was also a, a nice little touch, um, keeping the Isaiah Bradley, uh, element here in, in this. And key to it is the fact that Isaiah's name was never mentioned no. by the doctor here. Nope. He mentions he got a sample from some person who had, who had the super soldier serum effectively. Uh, whereas if it was Steve Rogers, Steve Rogers' names would absolutely have been said. Yes, it would have been, exactly. I got a sample of Captain America's blood. Um, yep. So that's that's where the anger comes from Sam in this discussion, that this person has been lost to memory effectively because nobody cared about him. Uh, he was nope. left on his own and treated like a test subject. Um, yeah, so really, really good scene. So the fun thing is that there were the, the blue vials that were in that shipping container that could have been the proto regenesis of growth of the neck some more of the super soldier serum were completely destroyed by that rocket power grenade mm. um so there's nothing left there yeah so essentially what we're saying is there were 20 some uh serums i think 20, 20 i think miles, he says yep. 20 20 so depending on we know there's at least six or seven uh flag smashers there's eight there's eight. There's eight flag smashers. So there was twelve vials left, mm-hmm. potentially that the flag smashers have. A Carly has, yeah, yeah. A Carly. So what? This gives us the option of more people getting the super soldier suit. Mm-hmm. So essentially, we can see maybe John Walker and Battlestar taking it. Mm-hmm. Maybe Sam Wilson taking it. Like we yeah. see these addition. Like there's twelve vials left. So that is now where we are moved to versus. Where we were, where it's like, okay, we need to find out where the what where all this is coming from, where the super children come from. Now it's like, there's twelve files left. We need to figure this out. Yeah, like that is the interesting part. Absolutely, I love I love putting a finite number on it. Is just really important uh, because you know you've always had this idea that that 
Cap was unique. He was created in, in the 40s. There was only one vial uh, that was used on him. And then Erskine was killed, who created him. And then the Hydra... Uh, Hydra were supposed to have stolen some of the vials and that's where it, it continued on with other people, you know, um, that, that's so always supposed to be a very small amount of these in the world. So, uh, so now again, we have very small amount in the world, eight people created with the, with the serum and there's another 12 possibility out there. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, it, we are getting closer to the Weapon X program, by the way. This is what they, the, okay. some form of the Weapon X program is coming into this. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, moving on. We get a great brawl in the shipping area. While this is all this exp- exposition is being dumped, Sharon Carter is laying out these mercenaries. She is so cool here. Yeah. yeah absolutely definitely. love these suits. Yeah. Like if you want someone at your back who's going to be the lookout, um, you know, you, you can traditionally that role is someone that literally watches on and calls out to them. There's some danger coming your way. But if you want somebody to do your lookout for you, get Sharon Carter. Um, she's literally going to actively uh, kill and fight with the people that will be coming to attack you. You know, I thought it was really, really good scenes, really dynamic and showing you uh, her power. Like she went up against the Winter Soldier when he was at his full power um, yep. back in the Winter Soldier, you know, so uh, so she certainly has the skills as a, as a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent uh, that a well-trained hand-to-hand combatant. So uh, good to see them in full use in the show. 100%. And we get Zemo re-showing his military background. In yeah. full costume. Yeah, yeah. the mask was awesome. Yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. I'd like a little explanation for the mask. I'd like if it was something like he'd said, you know, I wear it because it has a bulletproof plate in it or something, you know. It's um, going to be something like that, yeah. Or I guess that because he's a baron, he's connected in with the former royalty of Sokovia. It just, he, it simply, he has to hide his identity, Maybe. I guess. Maybe. But yeah. then he's known as Zemo, which is his yeah. family name, so... Possibly not, I guess. I just, I just when, think, when I think that through, yeah. um, like it looks cool, a really great yeah. version of the comic book costume uh, turned into into um, this live action version. But I just would like one line. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I think here as well at the end, once they've survived this, um, th- th- this attack by all the bounty hunters, um, that have been sent upon them, uh, that you, you just have a nice little sort of final piece with Sharon Carter with. Um, there with another lady saying we have a problem. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have two problems. So I, again, um, you know, shifting sands around Sharon Carter. Is she with the um the power broker? Is she with uh, another organization? You know, given the ending here, is it something to do with Wakanda? Um, you know, mm-hmm. what's the situation here? Or is she with the flag smashers? Um, you you just really um don't know at this stage. Yeah. Uh, but it, again, just a nice little bit of intrigue uh, uh thrown in there yeah. uh, right at the end. And I do have that question as to whether she is the power broker as well. I think Chris, you you have the same kind of idea that maybe she is the power broker. We still haven't had that person introduced. It's the name of the episode. They're they're referred over and over again to the power broker. So uh, could that be Sharon Carter? Is that the role she's assumed in Majapur? Yeah, I I think that's the would be that would be a great twist. It's possible, in yeah. my opinion. Which is essentially she became the power broker. She is so disillusioned with all the Star Spangled Banner stuff and the heroes and the U.S. She's like, no, I'm I'm gonna be me. She has been belittled by the superhero community to the point she can no longer return to her family. So it's that hero, good guy, or good person, 
becomes bad guy because they're in it for themselves now. In it, that she's basically just, and the reason she was helping the guys is she was like, she brought them to Nagel to try and find out so that she could help. She she could set them loose to try and find her super soldier serum Maybe, yeah. with the flag smashers. Yeah. And it was by pure issue that the problem is that Nagel's dead. The other problem is that she's no longer with the Winter Soldier and Sam anymore. Like, she goes, we have a problem. We have two yeah. of them. The problem is, A, Nagel's dead. B, whatever. Like, I just think it, it adds up as you kind of put it together. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the idea that she could be the power broker. Um, but whether it adds up, because if she's the power broker, why would she can allow the bounty? To, you know, we've just heard the power broker is judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. She's just killed. Or mm. one of the bounty hunters has just blown up. I mean, even if Nagel hadn't been shot by Zemo, he could have been blown up in, 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 in that rocket attack. Yeah. And, you know, also killed selby um it feels like everything she's done has undermined what the power broker would have unless there is you know this this really lovely intricate sort of sort of double flip that happens around what the power broker wants to do and who that is and it so it could link in there absolutely but if we think that the power broker is potentially the you know the the bad guy or 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 gal behind um all of this then potentially she's just undermined everything that that she was going for Uh, so that's the only thing that maybe just holds me back a bit but having said that with the flag smashers you know you you get that really nice moment with Lamar talking about you know they're trying to feed people they're they're trying to give people medicine and that brings about loyalty and and possibly there's as I say there's that ulterior element around the power broker and so on and it's so I I don't know I don't know quite yet I'm not yeah. totally there because yeah. of the events in this episode but that yeah. it would still be very cool I kind of like the just, idea of bringing uh, Zemo back he works with Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier and actually the person they're they're working against the power broker potentially is a former character we knew as Sharon Carter I, I like that idea someone that was hung out to dry by the superhero community uh, and has turned uh, at the turned against them I don't think I don't think that's actually going to happen because this no. is Sharon Carter, massive character from the comic books. What I do think is possible, and will it leads us directly into bullet point four, is potentially she is on the side of the flag smashers as well. This is the other option for I think one of the, one of the other big options. Um, Carly seems to know very quickly that the Doctor is dead. Um, it cuts straight yep. to that conversation directly after. Sharon talking to uh, the person that that um, that you mentioned, John, where she's saying we have a problem. It cuts directly to that conversation between Carly and a member of the Flag Smashers, where she's saying the Doctor's dead. Um, we are, we have the twenty vials, and there will be no more produced effectively. So that feels like a quick phone call from Sharon Carter to say this is what just happened. Um, that's that's now uh, where we're going, I suppose. Um, that's what it feels like. But there is a connection as well between Carly and the Doctor. She tried to get the Doctor to save. Uh, her mentor, her her former teacher, I think she calls her Mama Danya. Um, yep. So the person that has that has died in Riga, effectively yeah. in her arms. So someone very close to her. This is what pushes Carly over the edge um, and into a, much more of a terrorist act than she had been doing in the past. This idea that they were, as a group, they were getting food and getting medicines for 
the people that are in these uh, these camps that were created after the blip. Um, that was what they were doing as the Flag Smashers, um, was getting stuff to keep these people alive. They're fighting for their lives, but now she's turned to much more terrorist acts, planting a car bomb outside uh, the GRC's building. Um, killing the soldiers inside. Um, that's a terrorist act that she's doing. And it seems to be totally against the beliefs of the other flag smashers. The person that's where the whole time is completely shocked at the idea that she would do this. Yeah. So, and it, it's interesting that, you know, it's all in the, um, global repatriation council and you have that kind of wonderful advert at the start, the, the, the PR and then you have the reality of the GRC Absolutely. with these kind of, you know, the, the hoarding supplies, the, um, the, the camps are, are crowded, you know, people are catching diseases in them, such as with, um, Marmadonia. Uh, you also have, you know, Carly saying that this is the only language these people understand. So it, it's the idea of fighting fire with fire that, Obviously, you know, and maybe we've not seen it. The GRC is much worse than what we've seen in terms of just purely hoarding supplies. And, yeah. and even at the start, you, you see that when, um, Captain, uh, America and, and Battlestar arrive in Munich, it's the German branch of the GRC that's bringing them in where he, um, is, is speaking with the guy who gave Carly refuge in, in yeah. the previous episode. And uh, again, just as an aside, there's a real nice moment because the guy spits in his face um, and he goes, I know who you are, but I don't care that, you know, this riles up uh, John Walker here. Uh, this idea of being, I guess, in part ignored because he doesn't care who he is, but also being spat on and, and, and challenged in that mm. way. So I thought that was quite, quite nice. Um, yeah. Quite kind of really interesting dynamic there with... John Walker, but also the GRC, which we see Carly attacking then in, in this episode. So, um, yeah. And you, you have quite a nice little conversation about, you know, what they would like to have been, uh, this idea of a teacher or, and so on again, which I thought was, as Lamar says, an element of sympathy that you have with her, or even though she does blow up, um, a building with, um, the guards of the GRC in there. Um, so maybe not as, uh, dare I say it, um, sweet as, as we thought. So I, I'm going to jump in on my view on Cardi here. Um, I have problems with this. And this is one of the reasons this is not one of the top episodes for me. And it's bringing it down. Um, essentially, for me, I, I feel they they've literally destroyed the goodwill they built in this episode over the last couple of episodes on this character that one thing so one of the things about bad guys in movies especially superhero movies is they they have to shorthand a lot of it to make you dislike the character to make them the bad guy right per se so and they are this is the one like zima was one of the best characters in a superhero film or as a villain because they built his amazing backstory Right, same to Killmonger. They built this amazing backstory. Uh, unfortunately, Killmonger they killed uh, Zemo. They locked in jail so they can use him again, which is great. With Carly, they they built so much goodwill, quote unquote. Right, in Senshi, they are building over the course of these last two episodes. They built this character who you're like, you understand her rationale, you understand her motivation. You're like, oh, this is great. 
Like she's she is essentially a freedom fighter. She is like going to get vaccines. She's using her ill-gotten powers mm. for good, right? Mm. And to make sure you remember that she's a bad guy, they get her to commit mass murder. Mm. Like she is literally just they set off a bomb in place. Yes, the security guards, collateral damage, but there's probably other people in there. Like, there's probably some other form of admin staff or yeah. cleaners that they... Because there was a lot of people, like, roped up in that room when you, when you saw the guard. All, all guards um, in, in that scene. But in Carly's mind, again, this is, you kept six months worth of supplies, of medicines, in this place when you could have just gone down, given some medicine to the person I really cared about, and she wouldn't have died. We're fighting for our lives here. Is the is the attitude? I am certainly not on her side on her side anymore. Yeah. Um. But this is one hundred percent the phrase: one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what she is. Absolutely. If we hadn't seen this scene, we wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. But this may be the first flip that we have on Carly. Certainly, we mentioned earlier on that the person who's with her, the other member of the Flag Smashers, is really surprised that she's gone this far. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of takes me to my other question, I suppose, about the super soldier serum. I do wonder if they're going to go down the path of, I think it was Nuke, the character that was in, um, that was in Jessica Jones, where him being super powered turned him crazy, turned him into the villain effectively because the power was corrupting him in, in some sense. So I wonder if that's what's happening with Carly here, that she's one of the first that took the super soldier serum, but it wasn't as pure as the uh, the one that was used on Steve Rogers because a different scientist made it, and yep. potentially it's having an impact here and pushing her to more extreme measures than somebody else uh, would be pushed. Yeah, we did know that the 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 serum uh, the the previous super soldier experiment for the uh, five uh, Soviets mm-hmm. um, that was in Civil War caused them to go crazy. That's yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the Red Skull as well. And, and the Red Skull, yeah. yeah. There is a history there yeah. that the, this serum does mess with your mind. It can, One yeah. of the only ones. So, yes, I agree with that. It's just for me, I wanted there to be more. Like, we're halfway in the season. Like, it gives me at least another two episodes to feel conflicted about this villain. Maybe. Like, I wanted that kind of, like, oh, she's doing the right thing and she's doing it the wrong way. But, like, I get it. She's super powering the guys and there has to be this to and fro i wanted that emotional build essentially at this they just they continue to build it they made you feel for her losing her mama or like not maybe not actually her mama but the person character mama yeah and continue and build and like she's helping the people and she just wants to stop the tuberculosis which has broken out in all these refugee camps she's a good you see her playing kickball with Mm -hmm. the kid you see like they build it build it and build it and then Rather than kind of continue to build and show you that to and fro, they just at straight away just know she's a killer. And that was my only I know. Yeah. slight kind of bit. And I was like, oh, you could have you could have continued. And now, I have faith. There's probably a reason. It felt shorthand. I think, like I think for, for us particularly, especially as Irish people having uh, lived through decades of terrorism in Ireland and the UK, 
there's certainly an opinion that's I know I have the opinion that a terrorist is a terrorist. Um, it's it's as simple as that. Yes. Once you cross the line and once you murder people, you're a murderer. That's that's kind of exactly. a, an attitude I've certainly been brought up with. I know Chris, you're probably quite similar. I know John, being in the UK, you also uh, would have had that kind of experience as well. So Carly's crossed the line now. She's done, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. There is a there is a point beforehand. Like with everybody, there's a point beforehand. You go, I completely agree with your, all your motivations, but once you plant a bomb and kill people without any kind of warning or without any kind of threat or anything like that, without any, any kind of support from the people around you or anything that's going on, once you commit a terrorist act, you're a terrorist. Uh, yeah. As simple as that. So I kind of like, though, that story. I think that's important to show in the Marvel Universe to have, I agree with their attitudes, and then the methods that they use are over the edge. So there are other members of the Flag Smashers. I think Carly's done as someone to root for. I think there's other members of the Flag Smashers that wouldn't agree with that opinion and they will separate themselves from her yeah i mean i i i absolutely agree with what you said it absolutely pulls the sympathy element you know the, there's an element of building a sympathetic character here but i mean the the notion of the uh one man's freedom fighters and another man's terrorist mm-hmm. absolutely it, it is what's going on here and i i think okay talking about specific incidents but you know things like french resistance in world war ii mm-hmm. nazis called them terrorists or the um the polish in 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 poland fighting back against the germans a, a superior force in terms of equipment and personnel so they had to do these um types of things in order to combat them but they were called terrorists and yeah. so like that absolutely is what is going on here and i i think you know, the way it, I guess it's shorthand, um, for the series, given there's only three episodes left. But I mean, this is the only language these people understand. And also having that real contrasting, um, advert for the global repatriation yeah. council <laughs> coupled PR, yeah. with then the, the force of the GRC in, um, in Germany with yeah. the backing of Captain America and, and Battlestar. It, I guess, you know, they're trying to take down their infrastructure and this is what she's doing. You know, I, you don't see anyone killed. I get it in the GRC one, but it, it's, it's the idea of a, a group having to deal with effectively every country's army and police. Yeah. I get it. The sympathy is pulled because she's just blown up a building with people um, tied up in it. Um, and that's a terrorist act. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it it's building into that French resistance kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And you, you do get in that conversation between Carly and um, her second in command. You, you, you do get a sense that what happened to them during the blip there was some injustice there in that they didn't blip out and um, but that they were still put on the streets after the blip so when everybody oh. returned all of their property was given back to them and these uh, anybody that had lived through the blip was kicked out of their homes effectively yeah. is what it seemed like or these this group at least mm. is what happened to them and, and so i i you know that there is that um anger or, or and that injustice that has festered within this group. Um, and I think it's possibly just this escalation. So absolutely, the, the sympathy was right in the first two episodes, but you see her second in command absolutely horrified that she has just done that. 
Yeah. And so this is her escalating and making a change to, to go about it in the wrong in, way. In, in yes. The wrong way. <laughs> um, yes. Second in command is called Dovich. I had to look that up yeah. because Dovich. we were talking about him a lot there. But um, ultimately, if they were to win, they would be able to write the history about it. And that's the other kind of interesting <laughs> History is always written by the winners. Yeah. Yep. But I, I think there is, it is important that she did this alone and didn't tell anybody else that yeah. she was going to do it. She drove there in her car. Um, planted the, the car bomb and blew it up and nobody else in the group seems to have known about this. So yeah. it is talking about her being an extremist in amongst the group. That's so, it. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of intricacies and subtleties about how she got to that point, which possibly just, it, it it's not able, even in a TV setting, at least six episodes long, they've just not necessarily made as, you know, stamped it up front but I, I think it's there for sure and they probably won't be going down the route of the french resistance or whatever um because that's not what they're focusing on but i i think it it it, it builds into that whole kind of narrative i guess exactly yeah. exactly interesting though uh, as a moment uh for this episode uh let's close it out with a uh, bullet point number five uh because we kind of have to talk about this ending uh really mm-hmm. um as Zemo and uh, and Sam and, and Bucky travel over to Riga um, to meet with somebody. Don't know who they're meeting with, but but Zemo does have a connection uh, in yep. Riga uh, that potentially could get them closer to Carly and the Flag Smashers. Effectively, um, Sam and him go one way, and then we see the uh, the Winter Soldier pop back up again in uh, in Bucky as he notices uh, the Dora Milaje are following them. Really cool little moment here, you know, con- considering he spent so much time with them in their community, resting up after after losing his arm and, and losing uh, losing everything effectively. Uh, he does know the Wakandans really well. So, uh, so I like that he has that moment of just seeing the little flashing ball and knowing exactly who it is that's following them and, and able to track them down. I thought that was a, a real good use of the character. Yeah, it's the vibranium beads. Mm-hmm. That's so essentially, yeah, he's used to seeing these beads all over. So it's a straightaway flags it and he goes, oh, okay, there's someone... Oh, there's a flash. All right, go over there. It, it was cool. He is the White Wolf, as they call him. Uh, he is. He was potentially for a time part of their secret service. He was helping them out. Mm. Um, well, he was being called White Wolf, who in the comic books is a secret service right. uh, character. Um, so anyway, I thought this was cool. The fact that they bring Ao the, of the Dora Milaje, like who was one of the team in Civil War. And obviously, of course, Black Panther. But she's the one who says to, um, in Civil War to, uh, to Black Widow, uh, move or you will be moved. Exactly. Yes. Yes. She's, uh, she's one of the kind of featured members of the Dora yes. Milaje. So we've yeah. seen her a couple of times and she has had lines and, uh, she is important enough that, uh, that bringing her in here really gives that strong connection to, yes. uh, to, uh, Bucky and, and to Black Panther effectively. Yeah. So very interesting to see. Yeah, no, it's this was great. Yeah, this was great. I think, um, just making that connection back to, um, Wakanda, uh, and certainly with the white wolf element with Bucky, I really enjoyed this reveal at the end. Um, it, it, it makes sense. And, uh, yeah, just it, the, to see what the relationships are here, you know, what Bucky will do. Uh, and obviously with Wakanda uh, putting uh, their Dora Milaje agent effectively in, in Latvia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so really good. I wonder if Latvia could have been called Latveria ultimately <laughs> yeah. as well. We will see. It's renamed we'll see. in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our bullet points. Any notes for this episode? I think we've talked about this episode a lot. I think we've actually covered off uh, pretty much all my notes as we went through. John, anything from yourself? No, nothing from my side. Okay, two quick ones from me. First up, um, Nagel is from the comic books. Mm -hmm. He was in the Captain America Red, White and uh, Black uh, Truth. Uh, Sorry, I should say Captain America Truth, Red, White and Black, uh, the comic book. Um, so he is the Wilfred Nagel. He's the character in this who replaces Abram Erskine as the head scientist of Project Rebirth following his death. In the comic books, he is the scientist who created Isaiah Bradley being the testing on the 300 African Americans in that comic book. So he's directly tied to all of it in the comic books. Yeah. And the second and final, um, uh, note for me is the names in uh, Steve's and or I should say Bucky's notebook now. Uh-huh. Um, so we do have Nakajima. Uh, why Nakajima? Which is Bucky's friend Yuri, the son he killed. Yep. Um, we have A. Claremont Windsor. Um, Chris Claremont, X-Men icon, Madripoor. Uh, Barry Windsor, Wolverine icon, one of the character creators of Patch, mm-hmm. uh, as we've already talked about from the Princess Bar. Uh, S. Whitaker, uh, we think this is, uh, the kind of Steve Whitaker from, uh, the Marvel creator. He helped did a lot of X-Men stuff as well. Okay. Also Captain America stuff. L. Hudson. Uh, Hudson is James Hudson's, is Wolverine's name. Okay. Jimmy Hudson. It's a bit of a stretch there. And Atwood, we already saw from the season premiere. Yes, we did. Yes, we saw him. Senator Apple back there. I feel like we're probably going to see one more of the people that are on the page, so they may not be all uh, connected to the comic book. So maybe that one that you were saying, the one that you're most unsure of, the L. Hudson, maybe that's a character that Bucky will deal with in the final episode when he goes to make yeah. his next reparation. So so maybe you're right that that may not be a comic book character, but really good catches at the other ones. That, that's yeah. excellent, Chris. Good stuff. Whitaker is the one. So it's Whitaker and Hudson's the ones I'm like, the other, yeah. the, Windsor and Claremont, they built Madripoor. It has to be. It yeah. has, has to be right. them. Yeah. And uh, with the other two, we're fine. Anyway, that is it for me. So gentlemen, as we come to the end of this episode, we must do our defense. First up, Derek, do you defend Falcon Winter Soldier, episode four? I absolutely defend this episode. I think it's, as I say, right at the start, this is my favorite episode so far this season because it's so like what I wanted from this series. It's like, it's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to see. You know, it brings in Sharon Carter, one of my favorite comic book characters, in a much better way uh, than we've seen her in the past. Uh, Zemo slots in so well with Sam and Bucky's banter in the episode here, and I like the idea of them all working together. Lots of intrigue, lots of great action, uh, really, really good the only drawback for me, the reason why it's not a perfect five out of five or a perfect scoring episode, um, is just the, how clunky some of the elements from previous movies were pushed into the scenes in here. There's a way of doing it and they've had to do it with the Marvel TV shows so far. If you haven't seen all 28 movies, they do have to lay down some of the elements of characters. Um, I just felt it was a little bit clunky in, in how they put in uh, some former dialogue and former scenes that we've already seen before putting them into the TV show. It just felt a bit weird. Uh, but other than that, overall, uh, my favourite episode so far. Fantastic. John, do you defend this episode of Falcon Wind Soldier? I really do defend this episode. Um, I I loved it. Um, I would give it four and a half uh, snaky cocktails uh, <laughs> out of five. 
Um, yeah, I just loved. It felt like we were getting into the 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 meat and two veg or of Falcon and the Winter Soldier here. The meat were, if if you will, um, and I think uh, I just love Zemo coming into uh, the couple of Bucky and, and Sam Wilson. I loved all that interaction, and I loved um, the portrayal of Sharon Carter as well here, mm-hmm. and of the city of Madripoor. To me, this almost like felt like Gotham. Most of the Marvel universe is set in New York, um, and I, I like that this creation from the comics was given all its sort of villainous uh, glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it also, you know, it sets up intrigue with Sharon Carter. You know, who was the lady that she was speaking to? What did that conversation mean? You have the. Dora Milaje, uh, coming to Riga to claim Zemo. Um, again, just that nice touch in from, um, Endgame and, uh, Black Panther, all really nicely intertwined together. And, uh, and just carrying forward, you know, some of these questions around Carly and her intentions, uh, but also, with the global repatriation council mm-hmm. as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I love the intrigue around the, the power broker still and who that might be. Uh, so for me, this was absolutely, um, a solid defend, uh, for me. Chris, do you defend episode four? I do defend this episode. Um, unfortunately, it is just there's one element that takes it down and that is the, um, decisions they took with Carly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my one complaint with this. Everything else I loved. I loved the potential of what um, Sharon Carter can be or is currently. I loved the all the. I loved the Zemo. I loved Winter Soldier. Going back to Z- Winter Soldier, like it, every aspect of this was a fantastic episode, and it puts it in my top two. It just got very much. It got diminished by this uh, piece of shorthand with uh, Carly. And if it pays off later, I will retract that statement. But for now, it was just like, oh, so close. So close to a near-perfect episode. But there we go, gentlemen. There we have our defense. So you know what? It's been a long episode. Let's go to the pub. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's time for a good old pub quiz. Yes. Uh, no snake shots uh, here. Um, but a question. For our fellow quizzers and fellow defenders from episode four, The Power Broker. What are the three R's of the Global Repatriation Council's motto in their advert at the start of the episode? So just a reminder, what are the three R's of the Global Repatriation Council's motto in their advert at the start of this episode? episode mm-hmm. uh, send in your answer to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com also the question will be added onto our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and of course um for everyone involved in the pub quiz there is the chance to uh get the three funko pops uh, of the falcon and the winter soldier which is the falcon it is the winter soldier it is Baron Zemo. Yeah, unfortunately. They are the, the Funko yeah, Pop. Unfortunately, the Sharon Carter Funko Pop isn't available yet. I think that's coming later on in the summer. So I have those three available. Uh, those are the ones that will be going out to the one who gives us all the correct answers. If more than one uh, of our wonderful defenders gives us 
gives us all the answers correct, uh, there will be a draw in our final wrap-up episode um, for the winner of those goodies. Thanks so much for uh, the pub quiz question, John. Thank you. Uh, let's get on to some feedback for this episode. Lots of feedback in on the third episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, first up, Jerry says, hey guys, good episode. Baron Zemo's rich. So why has he not broken himself out of prison before this? Sharon Carter, stolen art dealer, or is she something more? Wakanda Dora Milaje in this episode. Excellent. Uh, he says, love the Easter egg that Sam looked like a pimp. The Falcon in the comics was a street hustler in the beginning. Yes. Um, yes. Snap Wilson. The back in the day. Interesting. In the early, he was, a, he had a split personality. Uh, and this split personality was called Snap Wilson, and he was a street hustler slash pimp. You can kind of understand even this backstory. They, I'm glad they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, Jerry closes out with, John Walker is getting desperate. Will he make a deal with the power broker? Hmm. I think that's entirely possible. If he finds out who the power broker is, he may make a deal to go after Carly, right? Uh, he seems like he's going to use every single method open to him um, to go after Carly and the Flag Smashers. Good stuff, Jerry. Yeah. Thanks so much for your feedback. Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. Thank you so much, Jerry. We also got an email from Victor who said, Hail Derek, John, Chris, and fellow defenders. Well, John Walker played himself again. Do you know who I am? Really? <laughs> I just don't like this fellow. A blunt weapon and not very intuitive. I was not surprised Bucky would spring Zemo, a fan of my homeboy, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Sharon seems to be pretty well set up in Magipore. I would be hesitant to leave as well. I liked the reactions of the Magipore nightclub patrons at the to the arrival of the Winter Soldier. The GRC has good intentions plus poor methods equals a path to hell. I heard somewhere Cardi is the daughter of the power broker. Is that true? How will Bucky call off the Wakandans? This episode reminds me of a Cold War spy thriller. Looking forward to your podcast. Excelsior! Victor Von Doom. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that feedback, Victor. I, I haven't heard that Cardi is the daughter of the power broker. But again, this is a bit like kind of Mephesto. There is so many <laughs> theories about what is happening in this series. Uh, yeah. This is kind of like, yeah, just let it play out. They'll tell us if that. Uh, at least um, this is possible, I suppose. But yeah, if, if anybody said <laughs> that Carly is the daughter of the power broker, like, nobody's seen the episodes. Uh, then They're not released to anybody, so somebody's making a guess there. It's entirely possible, yeah. We don't yeah. know anything about the character of Carly. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting that Nagel says that Carly took the, the vials of super serum and that the power broker will have some kind of special death for her so i mean i i guess maybe is it special because um it's the power broker's daughter <laughs> and so it has to be a special death because it's in the family or is it just simply that um you know he's taken the most valuable thing that the power broker has and was looking to get and so therefore that betrayal uh, will lead to a special death yeah um, you know, so yeah. It, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, what happens there, uh, for sure. And I, I agree, you know, it does feel like a Cold War spy thriller, but it feels like it's coming off the end of that big event, which is the blip or World War Two and moving into the Cold right. War and having all that intricacy coming on. This is the spy thriller, 
um, but coming and being driven or fueled by the events of the blip. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which is really, exactly. Uh, really good. And yeah. it feeling like a Cold War spy thriller is why I love it. Uh, interesting <laughs> that Victor mentions the GRC having good intentions and poor methods, uh, and that's the path to hell. And we've talked all episode about the Flag Smashers having good intentions, a good idea, and poor methods uh, of, of doing it. So, again, both of the big organizations um, feeling really gray here in this show. So uh, really good. Two sides of the same coin. Mm. Thanks again, uh, Victor and Excelsior. Indeed. Uh, We have some feedback as well through from our Facebook group. Uh, First up is Heather Wallace. Uh, She says, Oh, Sam, whether you're going to a film or committing crime in a shady pirate bar, always turn your phone to silence. Mm. Yes. Yep. Rule yep. 101. <laughs> uh, I own a vintage green leather jacket, very similar to Sharon's. So I guess that's my niche Halloween costume sorted for the year. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yes. Maximum impact, minimum outlay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and finally, Heather says, can I add that Zemo dancing is exactly what I needed to see this week? These days, though, all those people crowded in together at a rave is scarier than the fight scene. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You could imagine some superhero coming down who can see the spectrum of microbial spread uh, and, oh. and realizing that it's time to hottail it out of the, um, yes. Okay, John, you are not allowed to write a superhero TV show. <laughs> I, I could be microbe, man. You could be. Uh, thanks so much, Heather. Uh, Richard Blade says, another solid episode for me, adding in Zemo into the duo or trio now, or is it a quadruple now that Charon is here? Uh, was nice, and he seemed to fit in well playing off each other. And his mask was spot on. Thought Newcap was going to lose it when talking to Hoskins. He's clearly getting more and more agitated by the situation, which will probably end with him having a big childlike tantrum. <laughs> with Carly, I was all sympathetic with her cause, stealing food for the kids, but that soon disappeared with the car bomb, and I wondered if that would have further ramifications for her path. Nice to see Ao turn up at the end. Interested if they will deal with the Black Panther's future, or at least touch on it, but really hope it's not just a throwaway line like, he's busy. I'd prefer a look off screen, and then it's a complicated, just so it's referenced. Finally, I'm suspicious about Sharon. Something just seems off with her, and she seems more involved in some way. I'm refusing to Google my thoughts, as I don't want to be spoiled. (laughs) I I totally get that, Richard. I'm glad that you're on the same side as us, thinking uh, there's possibly something more about Sharon. I'm convinced there is something more about Sharon that she's not telling us uh, on screen as well. Isn't it really interesting, guys? Um, And I think this is the intention of the show. We haven't really talked about John Walker ourselves. Um, I feel like the, the show is kind of going... You don't care about this guy. We're just going to push him into the background. Here's all the interesting stuff you do care about. <laughs> and I think that's important. You know, it's uh, it, it, there's even the discussion with Bucky and Sam on the plane where but where Sam's saying he wants to destroy the shield and Bucky's going, don't destroy the shield. Somebody's going to be carrying it. That will be the next Captain America. It's not going to be John Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll go and take it for myself if you're not going to take it. But it's definitely not going to be John Walker. So even in the show, they're going, don't worry about this guy. He's not your new Captain America. Don't worry. <laughs> it will change by the end of the season or in the future. I think that's exactly why they're doing it. He is a supporting character. Mm-hmm. He is. It is not. He is not the new. It is like, yeah, don't worry about it. He's getting on. It, it's just happening in the background. Yeah, and he he drives the conversation about that shield exactly. and about that 
that pedestal of Captain America and yeah. what it means to be, yeah. um, which it's, is so nicely referenced by yeah. Zemo in, in yeah. this episode. It's not like they've recast Steve Rogers with a new actor. That's definitely not what's happening at this show. So you don't have to worry about him. He'll be gone soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much, Richard. Yes, thank you, Richard. We also have some feedback from Ronaldo, who said, I'm sure many listeners will cover the gamut of this. Another fine episode for me. The highlight was Madripoor, baby. I love how they brought this iconic city to life, and I can imagine the likes of Wolverine, a.k.a. Patch there. A nice touch having Sharon Carter off the grid and living there, by the way. Her fight scenes were amazing. Emily Van Camp has put in a lot of work to pull off those scenes alongside there being seamless transitions between her stump double. Mm -hmm. Zemo was also fun to watch, especially when he donned the iconic purple mask. Now we get to need him with a sword in his hand. Looking forward to eventually seeing the power broker, but hope we get to see more of Majapur in any of the further MCU properties in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Ronaldo. And yeah, actually, I'm thinking that would be cool if we get one scene where like Zemo has to take a sword yeah. off a wall or something I'm as a sure, part of a fight. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> it will happen while he's wearing the mask. Just that one scene, and you get like a thirty, like not even thirty. You get a two second. Still of just him in the mask, the, 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 the trench coat and a sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally with you on Madripoor. Loved, um, seeing that city, uh, Ronaldo. And yeah, on, on the, the fight scenes, um, uh, in the container yard on the docks, uh, there's two there that I really stuck in my mind where she's thrown against the side of the container and the guy follows up with a knee, but she moves out of the way. I thought that was really well done. Uh, and the one where she sh- shoots the guy as he comes around the corner, it's like mm-hmm. that kind of instant cat reaction. And I think the first one... I felt like bombs. That felt yeah, like she it was just, waiting yeah. for him to come It was really nice and fluid, as you say, Ronaldo. Yeah. And the, the initial one where she's got her metal stick where she takes out the first three mm-hmm. I think was yeah that was throwing down dare I say it the, the baton of, of metal uh, the, yeah. I see what you did there I know <laughs> all the compliments for the uh, comic accurate version of the uh, of Baron Zemo's outfit but uh, nobody's mentioned Sharon Carter uh, being in the standard undercover MCU outfit she's wearing uh, pretty much the hoodie that everybody that needs to go undercover <laughs> yeah. uh, has worn from Steve Rogers uh, to uh, to Hawkeye when he needs to go undercover everybody wears those hoodies so uh, yes we got Sharon Carter in her MCU hoodie <laughs> she just didn't get the hat if she just, had to put on a baseball hat and some some glasses that would have been it exactly just said she's undercover undercover <laughs> absolutely yep. absolutely uh thanks so much ronaldo for for your feedback there uh we also have brandy anderson's feedback this last week i have had a few people comment that they don't understand why so many reviewers and viewers are bringing up race in falcon and the winter soldier there was even a guy who said he had seen nothing about race at all in the first two episodes is he watching the same show that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but these conversations got me thinking about what the show does that isn't really seen in television or movies. It talks about subtle racism, microaggressions, and implicit bias. The type of racism that is sometimes so ingrained we don't realize it's there. Mm-hmm. So often when racism is depicted on the screen, it's the extremes, slavery, racial slurs, attacks. It is very black and white, no pun intended. 
But Falcon and the Winter Soldier has a character who represent people that, if asked, would not see themselves as racist or having biases. Mm -hmm. And those characters are not only white, like the cops or the loan officer, there are black characters who show their biases too, like the kid Sam spoke with in Baltimore, or maybe more so his off-screen father. And even Sam, when he comments on his suit, Zemo is not wrong when he points out Sam's comment implies a well-dressed black man looks like a pimp. Because if Bucky had been the one wearing it, I doubt Sam's comment would be to compare him to a pimp, Mm -hmm. even if he didn't like the suit and wanted to make fun of Bucky in it. And let's not forget, those biases might be a huge part of why Sam gave up the shield in the first place. Sam's comment about the shield touches on another racial issue. Between finding out about Isaiah and meeting up with Sharon, she's up to something Carter again. (laughs) Sam is starting to feel the shield is tainted and wonders if he should have destroyed it. For Sam, it is starting to be a symbol of others' suffering. Mm. But for Bucky, that shield is a symbol of hope and honour. This is similar to what is happening with the Confederate flag and monuments. For many, they are seen as symbols of racism and hate, while others see it as heritage and pride. I love the show as not only addressing this issue, but taking this approach. Mm, yeah, that's a um, good point. Also, not sure what's going on with Sharon, but she is definitely hiding something. Not sure if the show will go in the direction that she could have gone home if she wanted to, mm. but decided not to because of her secret, or if they will go that she is telling the truth about not being pardoned since she is not a superhero. And between that and being about all but abandoned by those she put her neck on the line for, mm-hmm. either way, there's something up. Don't know if she's Haywood or Agatha pretending <laughs> to be Agnes. She might even be Mephisto, but I don't think she's a townspeople. Um, yeah, that would be awesome if she suddenly became Agnes. Or Mephisto. Or Mephisto. <laughs> well, it was Agatha all along. Not Sharon Carter. That could be the coder. Um, finally, Brandy says, I was really kind of on the side of the flag smashers mm-hmm. up until the car bomb. But I do like that they show Carly's partner was shocked and displeased about it. Exactly. And you can somewhat see what caused her to escalate. Losing her mother or mentor, Mama Donia, and then to see six weeks of medication just sitting there not being used while others die. It very much felt like lashing out in pain and grief. Guess that makes her the wonder in this episode six Uh, months of medication as well medication and food sitting there yeah it's massive massive zemo was a good addition to the gang i like he just slips in with the banter without taking anything for the buddy cop bromance between sam and bucky Mm -hmm. and last but not least john walker's facade is slipping quick is it the pressure of all the expectations placed on him Or is he sharing his true self? Most likely, it's that he has imposter syndrome. John Walker, do you know who I am? MCU fans, a poor substitute. Brandy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Brandy, uh, for for all of that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Flag Smasher stuff uh, and Carly uh, deciding to go on on the blow-up, blow-up route, um, I think, yeah, has definitely undermined her her sympathetic... uh, bent i guess but uh, i think you know again we have the interesting thing from the german guy who gave a refuge that um you know he's not going to give her up she and and battlestar talks about this loyalty that you know there is a cause there that people are are believing in mm-hmm. um and i i guess it, it's linking to um both john walker and and her 
the flag smashers here about the the means will justify the end ultimately yeah. in in their mind but again i think it's the start of that change in the means given the shock from her number two basically yeah exactly once again really complex uh villain here that we've got on the show and really complex ideals the, the this concept that we are on the side of the flag smashers because we understand your home's taken away from you people have been put into camps uh totally understand that idea and then suddenly they throw in the car bomb to make it uh even more complex and even more likely we're not going to be at least on the side of carly um but just love your points uh brandy about this episode again i can't imagine that anybody thinks that this show doesn't talk about racism it, it has is so centrally layered into uh what they're talking about on, on the show and the character of sam and everybody on the show and how how it really plays out in the world and in, in all of the conversations so uh, i think you're i think you're right you've pulled out some really good examples of where they talk about real world racism and, and uh, i think that's a really good catch yes thank you so much brandy i i'm with you on pretty much all of this and same john and derek um i think the the interesting key point is this is not on a hbo watchman level discussion or lovecraft country discussion of race but is so interesting to see an mcu property like where they, you, this is superheroes battling like super soldiers but they're still able to bring in these real world elements and discussion to the point where it does have people kind of going, oh, I don't see race. And then you're like, no, 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 it's pretty blatant. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> we need to examine this. But anyway, uh, love, I'm very interested to see where they go continue because there is going to be that discussion where Sam and Bucky have the shield and it is going to be what is next. Well, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and I, I do. I am really intrigued to see Sam meeting up with Dorvalaji uh, yep. potentially in the next episode. You know, that it's one of the things that we've kind of missed in the Marvel universe. We had Black Panther. We had an entire community of Afro futurists. Is is the kind of the type that we've got this entire um, country effectively set up that are more advanced than every other country in the world. And we didn't have Sam in there. You know, I'd love to see what Sam thinks of uh, of Wakanda. I'd love to have that moment where we where he understands how this this whole society is built. So, uh, so hopefully we'll get that in in the show. At least have uh, that interaction between them. Uh, really cool. Thanks so much, Randy, for your thoughts once again. Uh, we have one final piece of feedback from Steve Bran. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve, and this is for uh, episode three of Falcon the Winter Soldier, Power Broker. Um, another really good episode quality. I can't, uh, can't wait to watch, watch it again, uh, and digging even, even deeper into it. Um, three, oh, just a couple quick thoughts here. Let's see, uh, the flag smashers. Wow. Um, that was quite a turn. I mean, I know they're trying to be benefactors, but man, blowing up that building with those guys in there and Carly saying, this is the only thing those people understand. Uh, wow. Um, Sharon Carter. That was great. And uh, who was the sniper in Madripoor? Are we supposed to assume that was that was Sharon and she got down? I don't think so. It didn't seem that way. So I'm not sure if they're going to revisit that or um, who, if we're going to know who their guardian angel was. Uh, unless it was uh, there, the woman at the end. Oh, from Wakanda. Could have been. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense then. Why Bucky started seeing the... Okay. Maybe I just answered my own question. So... Uh, okay, <laughs> this is a quick one, but can't wait to hear you guys talk about it uh, later. Thank you so much, Steve, for that voicemail. Uh, I love we heard your thought process mm -hmm. throughout that voicemail. Um, yeah, I I think the we're 
it's not supposed to be Sharon who the sniper is. I think it's going to be the woman that she met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was the sniper, the woman who in the dockyards. Yeah. Um, is, it's going, I think that's her, whoever else she works with. She's, I think that's what we're going to find out. Maybe. Yeah. There's also the possibility that somebody was trying to silence Selby because she was giving too much information out. So maybe it is going to be, um, uh, revisited in the future yeah uh, it's one of those ones where because you don't see the shooter um we don't know who it is so uh but yeah potentially one of the door malaji though i don't think they use guns very often i think they uh they think of guns as being uh being a bit primitive uh in comparison to how awesome the weapons are that shuri creates <laughs> for them so uh, well if you'd seen one of the the Dormelage's metal vibranium spears come flying through the window then we mm-hmm. definitely know we'd know who it was uh, and we kind of have um, a improvised one from the Winter Soldier as well in the dockyard battle. Where oh yeah, he is yeah. a massive. Uh, massive <laughs> he really does. Um, but I, I had the same thing, Steve, on the sniper because um, it, it felt like um, Sharon had just sling ringed down onto uh, <laughs> on onto the road there after that shot. So for sure, um, it, it's the the guardian angel. But I, I guess I'm with you guys that it's possibly if anything to do with um the the lady from the dockyards as you say yeah um, yeah. so yeah good stuff thanks so much uh, for the voicemail there steve absolutely great to hear from you steve uh, if you want to send us any thoughts about any of our shows that we're covering we're covering uh, invincible we're covering falcon the winter soldier and pennyworth uh, each week at the moment you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com you can join us over on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries or you can follow us on twitter over at tvpodindustries as well uh, always great to hear from you yes thank you so much please don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash tv podcast industries where just for a dollar 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 bill you can uh, support us for just that amount and help keep the lights on the podcast engine running and our editor in caffeine mm-hmm. or you can head on over to tv where you can subscribe to us on any good or evil grounded or flying podcast catcher and you can also leave us an old review because we'd love a, an old good old five-star review because who doesn't love a star spangled banner podcast review that's five stars i don't know where i was going with that but it nearly worked it nearly worked yes thank you so much we'll be back next week with falcon and the winter soldier episode four which airs next friday so a big thank you to all our fellow defenders and we'd like to just give a shout out to our four new patrons as well. Uh, a big uh, thank you for your your support uh, and for keeping this producer here uh, in coffee. Uh, thanks to Mike Scannell, mm-hmm. Mark Elliott Fogelsong, Victor Sellers and Siren School for um your your support. Absolutely. It really is appreciated mm-hmm. uh, and thanks so much um for helping us out. And thanks to everyone for their support by subscribing to the podcast and, and sending in the feedback. It is great having the community of fellow defenders fellow industrialists and you name it fellow whatever it is that we're covering uh, it's great to have you on board chris came up with a new one for invincible yesterday fellow guardians uh, for invincible I like that mm. nice that's a really really good one I like yes. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. excellent thank you all so much for your support really really uh, good of you to, to keep supporting us uh, as we go through all of the shows that we're going through uh, thanks so much we'll talk to you next time
Yeah, thanks so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. It's great getting your input. It's great um, having the chat and discussion on all things Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Remember, though, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Oh, and everybody have a very happy Easter this weekend, yes. Yep, happy Easter. Go have those bunnies. Yeah, happy Easter, everyone. Um, Chalk yourselves out. Bye. 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 I hear a lot of people saying the blues, the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is.